The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Wall Street gears up for more volatility after U.S. stocks close in the green but log their third negative week in a row, while the Trump administration seeks to calm recession fears. I sure don't see a recession. Despite a lot of worries with the volatile stock market, most economists on Wall Street towards the end of the week have been marking up their forecast uh, for the third and fourth quarter. Chinese stocks jump after the PBOC takes action announcing interest rate reforms for companies as the trade war with the U.S. takes its toll. Global bond yields bounce as German Finance Minister Olaf Scholz says Berlin can stand up to an economic crisis with full force and as much as 50 billion euros in extra spending. Hong Kong prepares for more massive protests after millions brave the rain in a peaceful rally for the 11th straight weekend of pro-democracy demonstrations in the Chinese territory. Well, a very warm welcome to Squawk Box this morning. I hope you've all had a calm weekend relative to the roller coaster that we saw in markets last week. Uh, as you can see here beside me, U.S. markets did end in positive territory, so we closed out the week on a high note, but it wasn't uh, wasn't without volatility uh, throughout the week. So the Nasdaq closed about 1.7% higher on Friday, the S&P and the Dow more than 1% higher as well. Now, sector-wise for the week, we saw consumer staples see the best week uh, of the bunch energy was the worst performing sector of the lot. And of course, the the panic that we saw earlier in the week was really driven by that yield curve inversion of the 10-year, two-year part of the curve that investors had been closely watching. Later in the week, though, on Friday, we got a little bit of a boost from hopes of stimulus coming from not just the U.S. economy, but around the world. And now the narrative this week got coming together around possible German stimulus coming through the Eurozone, obviously a key weak point uh, globally. We've also got some news over the weekend from the uh, Asian authorities that we're looking at some uh, some reform to the interest rate policy over in China. So we're providing a boost to Asian markets. We'll take a look at those in just a moment. But first, I want to give you a look at Treasuries and where we stand now in terms of the uh, in terms of the yield curve. As I mentioned, the ten-year, two-year in cr- sharp focus last week. Now we have seen yield plunge across the board last week, but now we've seen uh, Treasury yields actually tick up. So a little bit of calm coming uh, coming through and. Uh, just to give you a, an absolute number here, the 10-year is now trading at 1.58%. The two-year trading at 1.50%. Now, let's take a look at dollar crosses next. Last week, we saw the dollar index rise about 0.7% over the course of the week. Now we're looking at some real stabilization come through uh, across the board here. Sterling uh, and the euro slightly higher versus the dollar. The dollar uh, just, a, just a touch weaker versus the yen, but really uh, some stability coming in terms of FX markets this morning. Well, let's 
let's move on and take a look at oil. Last week was a, a very volatile week for Brent and WTI as well. Now this morning we're seeing WTI and Brent both trade higher around the 1% mark. Now we have seen some uh, some renewed risk in the Middle East. We over, over the weekend we saw an attack on a Saudi oil facility by Yemeni separatists. So perhaps that's driving some of the uh, recovery we're seeing in oil. Gold retreating a little bit down about a third of a percentage point. Of course, gold, one of the key beneficiaries of the risk-off trade we've seen recently. Let's move on to Asian markets. As I mentioned there in the open, we have seen Asian markets rally in the overnight session. The Shanghai Composite up about 1.5%. The Hang Seng up a whopping 1.9%. Now, we did see over the weekend the PBOC make uh, some moves when it comes to the reform of uh, a key rate there, trying to stimulate uh, or or certainly reduce borrowing costs for companies who are struggling in the face of the U.S.-China trade war. So investors reacting positively to that news. We did see protests continue in Hong Kong, but they were peaceful. And perhaps that's uh, driving some of the strength we're seeing in the Hang Seng as well. Let's uh, move on to European opening calls and see what this all means for Europe. We're in for a positive start across the board here in Europe. Uh, A lot of focus around Germany and whether we actually see them shift their narrative and become more open to uh, an increase in fiscal spending. We'll be discussing that uh, as the show progresses. Also keeping a close eye on Italy this week as uh, political risk returns firmly to the fore. Right now, the FTSE MIB is looking at a 90-point jump at the open. Karen? Juliana, thank you. President Trump has insisted the U.S. economy is strong despite growing fears of a recession, which have roiled global markets. Trump claimed consumers are, quote, rich and loaded up with money. He added that while China is keen to strike a trade deal, he is not yet prepared to reach an agreement. If I wanted to make a bad deal and settle on China, the market would go up, but it wouldn't be the right thing to do. I'm just not ready to make a deal yet. China would like to make a deal. I'm not ready. The president also said he does not want to do business with Huawei. Multiple reports on Friday suggested Washington is expected to prolong a grace period that allows the Chinese company to buy supplies from U.S. firms. However, Trump once again called Huawei a national security threat and reiterated his desire to avoid working with the phone maker. Meanwhile, Apple CEO Tim Cook has warned Trump about the impact of tariffs and how this could give an edge to main rival Samsung. The president said Cook made a good case and the discussion has given him something to think about. It's tough for Apple to pay tariffs if they're competing with a very good company that's not. I said, how good a competitor? He said they are a very good competitor. So Samsung is not paying tariffs because they're based in a different location mostly South Korea, but they're based in South Korea. And I thought he made a very compelling argument, so I'm thinking about it. Elsewhere, White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow says trade delegates from China and the U.S. will speak within the next 10 days. He told NBC's Meet the Press that if discussions, quote, pan out, Washington would invite Chinese officials to the U.S. for talks. Kudlow also explained why he believes a recession is not on the horizon. We had some blockbuster uh, retail sales consumer numbers uh, towards the back end of last week, really blockbuster numbers. And in fact, um, despite a lot of worries with the volatile stock market, most economists on Wall Street towards the end of the week have been marking up their forecast Mm -hmm. uh, for the third and fourth quarter. That echoes our view. You know, what we've got here, consumers are working 
at higher wages. Right. They are spending at a rapid pace. They're actually saving also while they're spending. That's an ideal situation. So I think actually the second half of the economy is going to be very good in 2019. China's central bank has announced interest rate reforms to help lower real rates for Chinese companies. The PBOC says the move will, quote, will lower real lending rates as Beijing looks to boost its economy amid a slowdown and the trade war with the U.S. The new loan prime rate, or LPR, will be based on open market operations with the central bank publishing the level on the 20th of each month. Altaf Kassam joins us, Head of Research and Strategy, State Street Global Advisors. Altaf, good morning and welcome to a brand new trading week. Thank you. It was uh, quite a volatile one last week as investors right. stressed about recession. I want to pick up on that point because Larry sure. Kudlow out on the front foot on the weekend trying to talk up the prospects for the U.S. economy. But this does come on the back of what has been three straight falling weeks for, for U.S. markets. At the same time, we had trade hawk Peter Navarro talking about whether we really had an inverted yield curve. How much faith do we put in the commentary coming from the White House advisors, given that there's a lot now invested in a U.S. economy that performs. Yeah, I think, I mean, one thing that Goodlow said that, that we totally agree with is that it's about the consumer now. So the, really the only pillar that's holding up the U.S. economy right now is the consumer. We've had a manufacturing recession effectively for several quarters now, and it's been consumer spending that's been strong. Wage growth has been there, albeit not as strong as you might expect with unemployment where it is. So if we do see signs that the U.S. consumer is starting to crack, I think that would be a real worry for us. So for us, it's less a story of how strong the economy is, but more a worry about whether if the U.S. consumer starts to lose confidence, as manufacturers have been for the last few quarters, then, then we would really start to worry, actually. What is the chance of that happening? Because incoming in the next few months, more tariffs yep. on particular goods. Some have been postponed as the list uh, is explored further for potential impacts. And of course, Apple, we just saw the commentary from Trump there suggesting that the competitive threat is quite strong now versus Samsung. So what is the threat to the US consumer coming up to the holiday season? I mean, you're right. It was key that Trump uh, delayed his next proposed set of tariffs until effectively after the Christmas period. That's going to help the consumer spend throughout Black Friday and, and into Christmas. And, you know, what was key about that next set of tariffs was they were more focused on consumer goods, effectively. And there were more uh, goods that would actually have a large effect on the consumer if tariffs were raised. So that's really where the, the, the crux is going to be, is whether these next set of tariffs are going to crimp consumer spending and consumer confidence on the back of it. Now, unemployment remains low. As Kudlow said, wage growth is picking up. So there are certainly some bright spots, but effectively, if you make things more expensive for people, they're gonna spend less, and that's gonna have a huge effect on the economy. I wanna come, come on to Huawei, which has really returned to the fore over the weekend. Today, President Trump is expected to, to announce uh, his decision around whether to extend that reprieve that's been granted to uh, American firms doing business with Huawei. If we do see an extension of the reprieve, would you see this as a, an olive branch of sorts that the Washington is really relaxing their stance toward Huawei? Or do you think this is really reflective of the pressure that Washington is facing from U.S. tech lobbyists? And it's actually much more for the benefit of U.S. firms rather than the Chinese. I mean, I would say the former. I would be surprised if, if Washington can be seen to bend to even its own internal tech lobby. So. 
I do feel that this is no, not understanding the mind of Trump as much as anyone else. Um, it does feel like this is part of his negotiation strategy, you know, play hard, offer something, claim victory. And uh, this seems like part of, of that overall gambit. Can we come on to the lending rate in China? Because that's been another big change over the weekend, a more market-based reform trying to lower the cost of loans for corporates. Self-help measures from China have been closely watched and they've been a little bit disappointing for some market commentators. Does this lending rate make a difference in terms of making the environment a bit more friendly for some of those small corporates? I think it's very significant in terms of the signalling that it offers, that, you know, that the government is there and it's there to help. So we've worried for a long time about how China's going to manage this deleveraging that it needs while not um, stepping on the growth that, that has been you know, falling in the last few quarters as well. And this seems like, as, as you used the phrase, another olive branch, a way that China is showing, look, we're here to help, we're backstopping um, you guys, and you know, don't worry. So I think in, in numerical terms, the changing of the policy rate is not really a big deal. But in terms of the signalling that it offers, that, that really that the, the government is there to back up you know, corporates, I think it's really important. All right, we're going to leave that conversation here for now, but uh, stay with us. Altaf Kassam, Head of Research and Strategy at State Street Global Advisors. Now, organizers say 1.7 million people braved the heavy rain to protest in Hong Kong's Victoria Park yesterday, the city's 11th weekend of demonstrations. While the police estimate the turnout was much lower, the event was peaceful and the weekend passed without the use of tear gas. Uh, Sherry Kang is in Hong Kong and joins us with more. Uh, Sherry, yeah, how important is it that we finally, we, we saw a weekend, it's the 11th straight weekend of protests, but they were peaceful. Sherry. That's right. I mean, that is sort of uh, resets the button for the city and the movement. And in fact, organizers actually said this will reinvigorate uh, the cause behind it all. Uh, the city was uh, mired for weeks now, uh, but because of the physical confrontations between the police and protesters, bloodsheds. But the fact that it was peaceful yesterday and also, let's not forget, the huge turnout, more than 1.7 million, according to the organizers that is uh, really goes to show that this movement is not really showing any signs of fizzling out, not at the moment. And uh, it's interesting how some of the local reports suggest that that seemed to be one of the priorities, keeping yesterday's march and rally peaceful towards the end of the day as some uh, participants were chanting everyone go home, given that, of course, as, you know, the day uh, is, uh, you know, as, you know, uh, the previous confrontations between the police and protesters did happen. Most of it happened after the sun was down. Now, as we're seeing a more protest being scheduled and the protesters are not really, you know, showing any signs of letting up their pressure to make their demands, including the full withdrawal of the extradition bill, and also universal suffrage for Hong Kong residents. We're also closely watching what Beijing says about it and now what the U.S. has to say, say about it. And in fact, President Trump has been sort of wrapping up his response to all this and he's clearly linking his trade negotiations with China with what's been happening here in Hong Kong. Take a listen to what he had to say over the weekend. I think it would be very hard to deal if they do Violence. I mean, if it's another Tiananmen Square, it's, I think it's a very hard thing to do if there's violence. And 
you know, that I'm president, but that's a little beyond me because I think there'd be, you know, I think there'd be tremendous political sentiment not to do something. So I hope because I think we're going to end up doing a very good deal. There we go. So the U.S. president basically warning his Chinese counterparts not to resort to violence to contain the situation in Hong Kong. And in the meantime, we're watching what Beijing does uh, next. Remember, October 1st is really the key date that a lot of people are uh, watching out for. What happens in the lead up to that or after? Because that's the 70th anniversary for China's National Day. So is China, uh, you know, more willing to settle the issue or crush this issue. I think that's really the point that we are asking. Guys? Sherry, thank you so much. Uh, And of course, we'll be keeping a close eye on that October 1st uh, date and discussing it uh, throughout the show. We're going to take a quick break, but coming up, Germany's finance minister says Berlin can flex its fiscal muscle in the event of an economic crisis. Find out how much he's willing to shell out in extra spending next. And if you just can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune in to our very own podcast. Head to CNBC.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to have a listen and download today's episode. And for our listeners, stick around for more. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nanshou, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors, and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. watching Scorkbox, German Finance Minister Olaf Scholz says Berlin has the capacity to launch fiscal stimulus worth 50 billion euros in the event of an economic crisis. Concerns of a slowdown in Europe have grown amid a spate of weak economic data across the continent. Scholz says Germany would meet any crisis with, quote, full force. On Friday, Der Spiegel reported that Berlin could take on new debt to counter a potential recession, breaking its balanced budget rule. Let's get into that with Altav Kassam, Head of Research and Strategy, State Street Global Advisors, staying with us. The number crutches, uh, even if uh, Germany were to step away from the middle of that seesaw and tentatively creep out to one side and break the rules, number crunching suggests it could only spend roughly about 10 billion euros. That would be about one and a half percent of GDP before it starts violating European Commission rules. What do you make of this magic 50 billion number that has been touted around? Yeah, we think it's more likely to be tentative, as you say. But again, we think it's an important signal that Germany could provide. So, you know, we had great hopes that with Merkel and Macron, Germany and France would kind of push forward the euro. That doesn't look like it's going to happen. So, For us, the idea of Germany somewhat going it alone and taking baby steps towards a fiscal stimulus we think is really important. We also think it's necessary because as quantitative easing continues, each further step has less and less effect. So you have to stop looking at monetary policy and maybe start thinking about fiscal measures. 
And we think that for Germany, which is in a relatively strong fiscal position, this does make sense. Now, we're looking at some of the export data for Germany in terms of what's caused the slowdown. It actually looks like the issues are more on the trade war and Brexit front than any particular weakness in China, which is you know, interesting given the, how much of a powerhouse the, the Chinese economy is when it comes to, to Germany. And just to put some numbers on it, German exports to China still advanced 3.9% in the first half. Uh, to Eurozone countries, it was just a 0.5% increase. And the UK exports from Germany to the UK, negative 4.3%. So it feels like a lot of the issue is actually more of a European issue, specifically Brexit. Yeah, I mean, you can't underestimate how, sorry, overestimate how important Brexit is to Germany and to the Eurozone in general. But for Germany as the manufacturing powerhouse of, of Europe, you know, Brexit is definitely a big lose. So it's not surprising that being Europe's biggest export-driven economy, Germany is going to suffer with the trade war, with Brexit. And, you know, for us, that's another reason why Germany, I think, needs to look after itself first. So the measures being touted, the question is whether they work. I mean, some of the suggestions were, well, how about a tax cut that would stimulate the consumer in Germany? One measure that was identified, cash for clunkers. Remember the money given to those to trade in some of their old cars to take on new fuel-efficient cars. And we've certainly got huge changes afoot in the auto industry that would be potentially supportive for German autos. One other idea was that it's time to tackle the internet because there's not been much infrastructure spending and technology and perhaps also on the roads as well. Quite a number of measures suggested. Would any of this work, do you think, at this point for Germany? I think, I mean, I think measures targeting the auto industry do make sense because our feeling is that if there is a successful resolution of the US-China trade war, unfortunately, Trump will probably set his sights next on Europe. And clearly, the auto industry in Europe is something that he's, he's jawboned about in the past. So whether it's cash for clunkers or some European equivalent or some other measures designed to stimulate the German economy, uh, the German auto industry, we think that's a very real possibility. Whether these measures have a huge economic effect is one question, but once again, it's the signaling, it's the sentiment, it's what they say about how Germany is prepared to back itself. I think that's more important. Can we make the gigantic leap then to bond markets? Because many investors were watching just how negative German yep. Bund went last week and then whether that was having an impact and dragging the US Treasury yield lower as well. Do you think we've gone as low as we can go now if there is a promise of some form of fiscal spending from the Germans? I mean, clearly that's, that's elicited something of a bounce this morning. So it depends, again, on, on how robust the measures are. Again, we're not talking, we don't feel there's going to be anything that's serious in terms of firepower, but it's more about the signaling, the intent. So I think we could definitely slow down that drop in long-dated yields. But whether we see a meaningful reversal, I think, depends on what other measures Germany can, can introduce. Now, a fair amount of the, the, the demand or the, the reaction we've seen in bund markets is reflective of the supply-demand situation with bunds and the fact that there are, you know, that there aren't, there aren't a, enough bunds in circulation to satisfy that the appetite really from, from investors. So what, what do you, how do you think about the impact on the bund market if we do see the, uh, the Germans really increase their borrowing and suddenly we have a rush of more bunds in circulation for investors to buy up? I think it'll be a bit like what we see in the UK, where it seems like, you know, there are always investors out there willing to mop up the supply that comes from the UK Treasury, for example. So I don't think that increased issuance, you know, clearly if it doesn't get out of control, but increased issuance by the Bundesbank will have 
you know, a meaningful push up on yields. I think there will be investors out there. You've seen the reaction, for example, to Austria's long dated bonds. There are enough investors out there who want high quality, long dated paper that will be willing to buy that. And I don't think yields will be meaningfully affected. You've made the comment about signaling function to markets yeah. a bit in your commentary this morning. And I wonder what message the Germans would deliver to the rest of Europe if they were to spend, if they were to, to loosen the purse strings, because already there's been a clash over what Italy plans to do with its populist government. What would the message be to many of those southern European nations that have been embarking on a fair amount of austerity in recent years, or even if they wanted, haven't wanted to be on their austerity path, have not been allowed to spend? I think it, it is a tough... I mean, we've used this phrase over and over again. It's become a cliché. It is a bit of an existential crisis for the euro. So if Germany, quotes, goes it alone and it feels like every man for himself in the Eurozone, then I think you could see, you know, more worries about the periphery again, about Italy in particular, especially with the political machinations that are going on there. So I think Germany will be measured. I don't think Germany will go out all out on the fiscal stimulus, but I think you'll definitely get the feeling that Germany is going to start looking after itself more than worrying about the broader picture of the Eurozone. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on this show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.